you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com events. From the Lone Broadcast Center, this is Take Two, May Martinez. Today, a special edition as we examine how some nursing homes are feeling the most vulnerable Californians. Families put their loved one in a home because they think they get better care and they assume someone is keeping an eye out, but that's not always true. You're thinking they're going to do everything they can. In reality, that didn't happen. In some cases, the state knows these places are failing patients, but lets them stay in business. The approval process, the licensure process is a farce. It's all ahead on Take Two. Stay with us. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. LAist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events. From 89.3 KPCC and KPCC.org, this is Take Two. May Martinez, thanks for joining us. Today, a special edition of Take Two, Unprotected, an examination of how some nursing homes in the state have failed to care for the most vulnerable. It's a collaboration of nonprofit newsrooms across California. More than 9,000 nursing home residents in California have died from COVID-19, but problems existed long before the pandemic. Later in the hour, we're going to hear from reporters in Sacramento and San Diego. Also, we're going to hear from a state lawmaker. But we start today with a special report from KPCC reporters Ellie and Aaron Mendelson. Immediate jeopardy, death and neglect in California nursing homes. And a warning, we're going to be describing some medical details that may upset some listeners. Here's Ellie. Nursing home chains, considered unfit by the state, can stay in business, continue to fail their patients, and keep growing. That's what my colleague Aaron Mendelson and I found in our reporting. We've been looking into one nursing home chain that's been flagged over and over by state regulators. It's called Renew Health, and it's owned by a woman named Crystal Solorzano. Renew has a network of dozens of nursing homes throughout the state. Salerzano's businesses own, operate the homes, or have been involved in management or administration. About 2% of all nursing home patients in California receive care at a facility connected to Renew. Problems existed in their homes long before COVID-19, but the pandemic threw them into stark relief. We spoke to people who saw that firsthand. One of them is Devon Green. He was a housekeeper at a facility tied to Renew near Oakland called Orinda Care Center. When I initially started, it was like half the building, like half. Devon says the virus infected half of the residents when he began working at Orinda in April of last year. The number doubled in a matter of days. We took the weekend off, went back, and then it was the whole building except one person. Devon says he had to ask for personal protective equipment and says he had to reuse it. It's only so much you could do when you're wearing the same mask. You will put it. You will put it in a. You will put it in a, like a little Big Mac box and keep it. Put your face shield in a bag and keep it, and then come in with it the next day. Contra Costa County health officials visited the nursing home and found that even during the outbreak, the staff wasn't properly or consistently using PPE. They also noticed a quote severe lack of staffing. 
But Devon says most days, it was actually much worse. He told investigators management staged equipment. Pretty much they went around and put like PP on every on every little station, wipes, gloves, all that. But that wasn't like that every day. When health inspectors left, he says management gathered up the masks, face shields, and gloves and locked them in an office. Devon left Orinda in May, just a month after he started. He spoke to law enforcement about his experiences. And in May, the Contra Costa County District Attorney's Office obtained a search warrant on suspicion of elder abuse. The case has been turned over to the state attorney general. State regulators say Orinda Care Center is one of many facilities connected to Renew Health failing patients. Cynthia Carrillo's brother died after getting COVID at another facility in Upland, California. Ms. Carrillo? Yes. Good morning. I meet Cynthia outside her house. It's a clear, sunny day in early February. We walk over to a nearby park. We're both masked. L.A. has just gone through the worst surge in the pandemic. She sits on a park bench and tells me about her older brother, David. David enjoyed music. His favorite was Elvis. He loved to dance and sing and always happy. Here's a video of the two of them a couple years ago. Go, David, go. Go, David, go. Cynthia cheers David on as he sways to jailhouse rock. David had Down syndrome. He lived with Cynthia and her family in their two-story home. Cynthia says he was always protective of her. He'd call her bonita, Spanish for pretty. She called him an energizer bunny. But on Christmas Day in 2019, David wasn't like himself. He was having a lot of um, anxiety where he was kind of yelling, screaming. And we're like, okay, something's wrong. We couldn't get him to move from where he was sitting. We couldn't get him to go down the stairs. She took David to the ER. The doctor said he was in the early stages of dementia. Cynthia worried if she took him home, the same thing would happen again. So while she looked for a one-story house, she had David stay in a nursing home across the street from the hospital. It was called Villa Mesa Care Center, a facility in Renew Health's network. Cynthia went to see him every day. He would blow her kisses. Always flirting with the nurses. That was one of the things that he always had everybody laughing. One of his favorite things that he would do would, when he would be walking is kind of stop and dance and wiggle his butt. And so... Even in the bed at Villa Mesa, he would just start wiggling around and dancing. She says his condition got worse. He was often in a wheelchair. His clothes weren't being changed. She says one time she found him sleeping in the middle of the day and learned staff gave him a psychotropic drug without her permission. It was very difficult to have to leave him and go home. So our goal was to be able to get him out as quick as we could. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. COVID shut everything down. She couldn't visit, so she called Villa Mesa to check on David. A few weeks into the pandemic, she says she was able to talk to him through a window. She remembers staff pushed David up near the entrance in his wheelchair. They were not wearing any masks. A staff member handed David a phone so Cynthia could talk to him. It was very hard for us to see that and to see the staff walking around like nothing was going on, you know, regarding the pandemic. She says she asked the infection control nurse why they weren't wearing masks, and the nurse told her they didn't need them. Ten days after her visit, Cynthia and her husband woke up to a call. It was from the hospital. David couldn't breathe. I had to call the hospital back and make the decision to place him on the ventilator. And my husband was um, next to me when he heard the doctor say that. He was a very, very sick, sick man. And they said that he, that he was kind of coherent. Um, but at that time, they had to um, sedate him to place the ventilator and I couldn't be there with him. 
to even let him know that everything would be okay. He was probably wondering where I was. <laughs> David died a week later from COVID-19. He was 65. Cynthia never got to say goodbye. She filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Villa Mesa. That case is pending. We talked to a charge nurse who was at Villa Mesa when David was there. She only wanted to use her middle name, Anna, out of fear of retaliation. We ended up having like patients here and there with COVID, and they were not giving us N95 masks at that time. They had them locked up in the administrator's office, and we were told that we didn't need them. Anna says management told staff there was no outbreak, but... Sure enough, within that week, we found out, like, uh, you know, like a handful more patients were COVID positive. And they were still telling us there's no outbreak, there's no outbreak. Well, slowly after that happened, then employees started turning up COVID positive. Even then, she says they weren't getting N95 masks from the facility. Anna couldn't take the risk of getting infected. Her husband had kidney failure, so she decided to leave. I didn't feel safe there anymore. To date, at least 23 Villa Mesa residents have died from COVID-19, including David Carrillo. That's according to federal data. Compared to other nursing homes in the state, the facility had high rates of both infection and death. The two nursing homes we've been talking about so far, Arinda and Villa Mesa, are connected to a company called Renew Health. Based on public records, we found at least 26 nursing homes connected to Renew. Hundreds of residents at those facilities have been infected with COVID-19. Nearly 200 have died. In a statement, a spokesman for the company told us their, quote, facilities continue to follow infection prevention protocols to protect the health and well-being of the residents and staff. But this isn't just a story about the pandemic. Trouble existed at Renew facilities years before the coronavirus. I wanted to get a look at their nursing homes. So my colleague Aaron Mendelson and I checked out some Renew facilities a few months ago. But we're outside Santa Fe Heights Healthcare Center in Compton. It's a one-story building, kind of burnt orange color. This is the third place we visited. Uh, but we haven't seen on the outside of any of these facilities anything that says Renew or Renew Health Group. Santa Fe Heights Healthcare Center has 99 beds. The building sits behind a gate across the street from homes and an auto body shop. Yeah, so we're at the side of the building and there's just a lot of trash laying around on the grass between the gate and the building itself. Um, lots of overgrown weeds. Ooh, watch out. Yeah, there's like a hanging wire. We pulled out our phones to review some of our reporting on Santa Fe Heights. In 2019, the facility inappropriately discharged a resident and was fined $20,000. The resident was missing for two weeks and found on the ground in a park. So they like rate nursing homes also, Medicare does, and five stars is the best and one star is the worst. And most of these facilities are like one and two stars. Santa Fe Heights is a two-star facility. Renew Health is one of a growing number of nursing home chains in the state. And at the top of Renew is CEO Crystal Solorzano. She calls herself an industry lifer. I have been in the healthcare business, most specifically skilled nursing, since I was 15 years old. That's from a TV interview she gave last year to ABC in the Bay Area. Solorzano is not an obvious mogul. She filed bankruptcy in 2007. According to her filing, she was a single parent at the time, working as a nurse in Petaluma. She climbed the ladder. By 2009, Salarzano was a nursing home administrator in Imperial County for a chain called Brias. It's California's biggest. When she was there, she and the facility were sued for elder abuse. An 84-year-old patient was recovering from a broken leg. He developed a severe wound. A staff member described it as beefy red. And ultimately, his leg had to be amputated. Matthew Pare was his attorney. Even before it was amputated, you know, there was some really gruesome things, uh, such as maggots that were literally growing inside of his leg. Pare filed suit in 2012. 
Lawyers for the facility denied wrongdoing. Pari said the case ended up settling. Soon after, Solorzano started working for a company in business with that nursing home chain. She left with a $650,000 severance package. That's according to testimony at a state hearing. In 2014, she founded Renew Health and managed to start buying nursing homes. And her financial fortunes changed. Today, public records show Salarzano owns three residential properties in Redondo Beach and Hermosa Beach. They're worth more than $11 million. We reached out to Salarzano several times for an interview, but she declined. Here's my colleague Aaron reading from part of a lengthy statement a Renew spokesman sent. It says, Ms. Solorzano is fully qualified to own and operate nursing homes and, in fact, has specialized in acquiring troubled facilities and turning them around to preserve and maintain critical bed space that would otherwise have been unavailable during the pandemic. Renew is now six years old. Regulators found significant issues from the start. At one facility, a nursing assistant was arrested for raping a patient and pled no contest to elder abuse. At another, a patient was inappropriately discharged and died soon after. And in 2017, Barbara Macias' older sister Jacqueline was admitted to Santa Fe Heights, the nursing home we'd visited in Compton. Jacqueline was 49. She had bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. And says Barbara, Her diabetes was absolutely horrible. She needed someone to monitor her diabetes for her safety. Barbara and her dad would drive all the way from San Diego. What they saw worried them. In just a week, Jacqueline lost 12 pounds. She told me and my dad that she was, every single piece of food that she ate, she would throw up in the trash can in her room, that her room was full of throw up. The facility staff tried to give her a nutrition shake. She couldn't keep it down, but they kept giving it to her anyway and didn't tell the dietitian. This was all documented by a state investigation. Barbara was also worried about her sister's blood sugar levels. Something felt just off. During one of her visits, Jacqueline was desperate. She told me, please help me, Barbara. Please help me get out of here. I need your help. Please help me. And she was begging me to help her. Barbara says she tried, but didn't have the legal authority to pull her out. Jacqueline was at the nursing home for just a month. At around 4 a.m. on February 16, 2017, staff found Jacqueline unresponsive. When paramedics arrived, she was in cardiac arrest. Her blood sugar levels were more than triple what's normal. An autopsy found Jacqueline died of heart disease. A contributing factor was ketoacidosis. That's a poisonous buildup of acids in the blood, often caused by unchecked diabetes. Barbara says she didn't find out about her sister's death until two days later. I was at my friend's house, and my sister Carol called me because they left a voicemail, and they just left a voicemail. The California Department of Public Health investigated Jacqueline's death. It found the facility didn't follow her treatment plan or tell her doctor when her condition got worse. In the end, the state fined the facility $20,000 and issued a Class A citation. They're issued when conditions present imminent danger, even a possibility of death for residents. Since then, Santa Fe Heights has received at least three more Class A citations. Other Renew facilities have racked up dozens of violations and fines. This is immediate jeopardy, death and neglect in California nursing homes. A special report from KPCC. We'll hear part two of Immediate Jeopardy right after the break as Take Two's special report, Unprotected, continues. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at las.com slash events. See you there. Democracy needs to be heard. 
Hi, this is Steve Inskeep with NPR's Morning Edition. Trustworthy, independent news is getting harder to find, but it's out there, and it matters for democracy. A healthy local news ecosystem leads to a stronger community. You can feel the difference, and you get strong journalism from LAist. So donate today at laist.com slash give. Back now with more Take Two on 89.3 KPCC and on the KPCC app, Ami Martinez. We continue with our hour-long special, Unprotected, a collaboration with nonprofit newsrooms across California. Now to part two of Immediate Jeopardy. I'm Ellie Yu. This is Immediate Jeopardy, a special from KPCC about how one nursing home chain continues to fail its patients and how regulators continue to let it operate and expand. Crystal Salarzano is founder and CEO of Renew Health, which is currently connected to 26 nursing homes in the state. Her ambitions go well beyond those facilities. Last spring, as the coronavirus surged across the country, Salarzano created a company called the Domestic Medical Supply Coalition to sell PPE. She posted this Instagram video last March. As we told you, we got masks. Mass manufacturing right now, coming at you in the next few days. We came into L.A. during the apocalypse to make sure that you guys all know that Renew has got you. My nurses are good. I told you, I promise you, deliver. This was around the same time employees told us PPE was being locked away. Salerzano's new company moved fast. They placed an order for $8 million for something called Freedom Fabric. But according to legal filings, the goods they made with it didn't sell. Salerzano's company stopped making payments to the supplier and even allegedly refused shipments at the door. Now the companies are fighting it out in court. In its statement, a Renew spokesman said, quote, Salerzano is one of the few people that did something to mitigate those desperate early PPE shortages, end quote. There's something the spokesman didn't address. In December of 2020, when nursing home residents were starting to become eligible for the vaccine, Salerzano took to Instagram. She has 11,000 followers there, and she spread misinformation. One post included the false claim that the COVID vaccine changes human DNA. She shared another post from an anti-vaccine account that said in its description, quote, the COVID vaccine should be avoided at all costs. Michael Wasserman is a doctor who's worked in the nursing home industry for decades. God, this is the this is the owner. I mean, this is a leader in nursing homes doing this. Correct. Wow. I mean, to me, this is absolutely irresponsible. Wasserman is part of California's Community Vaccine Advisory Committee. I showed him Salerzano's Instagram stories. It's bad enough that there's people who do this because they're just ignorant. It's unconscionable that someone who is in a leadership position in a nursing home or a nursing home chain would do this. Absolutely irresponsible and unconscionable. Quote me on any of that. The state is well aware that Salerzano is unfit to run nursing homes. It said so. In 2019, Salerzano applied to take over nine facilities. In California, the State Department of Public Health has to approve a new owner for a nursing home. So Salerzano had to put in nine separate applications. Regulators denied all of them. That's unusual. A letter addressed to Salerzano cited 128 federal deficiencies at her properties over three years. They included 14 deficiencies known as immediate jeopardies. Those are really, really bad. Bill Artiglare is a lawyer who represents nursing home patients. Immediate jeopardies are when regulators find a situation that's so dire that it's, quote, caused or likely to cause serious injury, harm, impairment, or death to a resident. When you're an operator and you have that many deficiencies for care at different facilities, that really sticks out as a real problem. The letter from California's public health department makes another startling claim. It says when Salerzano applied to be a nursing home administrator, she submitted a fraudulent college transcript. The college she listed on her resume told KPCC they have no record of her attending. In its statement to us, a renewed spokesman didn't address the transcript. 
But even though the Department of Public Health denied her the nine licenses, and even though the agency said she lied about her qualifications, Salerzano's businesses are still running those nursing homes. Tony Chikatel is an attorney with the California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform. We now have operators, including Sor Lozano, who seem to understand that you don't need a license to operate a facility in California, maybe ever. He says that's because you can actually start operating a nursing home first and then apply for a license. The approval process, the licensure process, is a farce. California has, in a sense, rolled out the red carpet for bad providers. Hey, it doesn't matter if you're a bad provider in California. You can get in the building, you can be a squatter, and they can't get you out. Chikatel says the decision by state regulators to deny Salerzano licenses doesn't mean her businesses can't run them. She can appeal the decision, and during the appeal, stay in charge. Advocates say other industries don't work like this. Barbers can't cut hair without a license. Surgeons can't perform surgery without one. But you can operate a nursing home even after the state denies your application for a license. It's a really bizarre, completely exploited process. The California Department of Public Health doesn't see it that way. We asked multiple times for an interview, but the department declined. It said the COVID-19 response was its priority. Instead, they sent an email. It said all nursing homes do have a licensed owner. It just might not be the person or the company that's currently operating it. That means Solarzano can run nursing homes, even without her own license. Even if the state knows she's unfit, knows her company has a track record of harming patients. Chikatel says the system is broken. Our director likes to say that her cat could apply to run a nursing home in California. And I'd like to say, obviously, we think that the cat would not qualify. But it it doesn't really matter if you don't qualify because you can just keep running the place and drag out the process of the appeals. He says bad actors can take advantage. And the people who run the system know that. And yet they allow themselves to be exploited year after year after year. It's, it's really wild. In Sacramento, Assemblymember Al Muratsuchi of Torrance wants to change how this system works. When I first came across this, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I assumed that uh, the State Department of Public Health uh, would be doing its job in ensuring that unlicensed operators would not be able to continue to operate He introduced a bill that would require nursing home owners to get state approval before taking over. For these uh, bad actors to be able to continue to operate without a license and and with a record of past abuses is is simply not acceptable. So uh, we need to fix this. But the bill has been pushed back to next year. It's likely to face strong opposition from the nursing home industry. Advocates say there are things the state can act on right now. That's because when an operator has a bad track record, officials have a whole toolbox of ways to crack down. They can recommend fines of $10,000 a day. They can impose a temporary manager. And they can even cut off Medicare and Medicaid funding, a virtual death sentence for a nursing home operator. Charlene Harrington is professor emeritus at UC San Francisco. She's studied nursing home regulation. California Department of Public Health Enforcement is terrible. The California Department of Public Health says it takes and will continue to take, quote, every action within its legal authority to safeguard residents. But Harrington is not impressed. They live in complete fear that some of these nursing homes are going to get closed. In fear, she says, because if they are closed, elderly residents would need another place to live. Harrington wasn't familiar with Renew, so we shared the information the state cited when it rejected Solarzano's applications to take over nursing homes. My colleague Aaron Mendelson read from the letter. They cited 128 federal regulatory violations of level F or higher and another 51 state violations. That's way off the curve. That's as bad as you could get. It's been a year since David Carrillo died. About a year since his sister Cynthia says she saw the staff at Villa Mesa Care Center walking around without masks. She can't drive by there anymore. There's too much, and I get angry. I get frustrated. I stop for a moment because I can feel the frustration of how he passed and how they didn't take care of him. And 
you know, um, just everything. It's just, it's unfair. It's unfair and we all take it very hard. Cynthia wants regulators to step in to make sure that other patients don't suffer the way she says her brother did. I mean, there should be a, a line drawn in who they can even give a license to. I mean, their lives are in your hands. How do you go to sleep at night? They don't deserve to, to manage. Not at all. After being denied licenses to take over nine nursing homes last year, Crystal Solorzano has appealed. And while those appeals are ongoing, her businesses continue to run those facilities. Late last year, she applied to take over yet another facility in Glendale. As of this spring, there are about 2,000 patients in the care of homes connected to Renew, according to federal data. And Solorzano, she posted on Instagram she's moved across the country to South Florida. I'm Ellie Yu. I reported and wrote this story with Aaron Mendelson. It was edited by Adrian Hill, Mike Kessler, Megan Garvey, and Oscar Garza. Our engineer was Eduardo Perez. For more, including a map of Renew Health facilities, go to las.com. Now we turn to Jocelyn Weiner, who covers health and mental health for Cal Matters. She's been writing about nursing home issues for years. And as part of our collaboration, she published a story about the biggest nursing home owner in the state. Uh, Jocelyn, welcome to Take Two. Uh, what did you find? Uh, thanks for having me. Basically, it's an open secret that the process for licensing nursing homes in California is opaque and confusing and rife with delays. And there isn't real accountability um, so this uh, story focused on the state has let the companies of the largest nursing home owner, Shlomo Recknitz, operate 18 country villa homes for years without deciding on the licensing, leaving it impending. He, um, he, he, his companies acquired those homes in t- 2014. And at the same time, the state has also turn the other cheek, allowing his companies to operate five other homes after they were denied licenses. Um, So, and basically the way the law is currently structured, people can purchase homes and then submit the paperwork for a license afterwards. So that means that whoever buys the home can basically use the license that the state gave to the previous owner. And that can go on for years and years. So yeah, keeps kicking the uh, the ball down the road in in a, in a way. Um, so where has the California Department of Public Health been in this? Uh, well, the state has a lot of roles in overseeing nursing homes. They inspect them, issue fines and penalties if they see problems, and they decide whether a new owner is qualified to run them. They say that they're looking at these licensing decisions on a case by case basis, looking at the owner's track record, the area of need. Uh, area of the state and how much need there is. And um, they have said that they're working on a solution and that it then got stalled during the pandemic, but this has obviously been going on for years. And advocates say they've been flagging the issue to the department for years. There was an audit in 2018 calling for reforms um, to the licensing process, but nothing has happened. It basically seems like they're just stuck. And Jocelyn, I understand the California Department of Public Health uh, did not respond to you or your fellow reporters about this reporting. Uh, What do you make about their lack of responsiveness? Well, it's very frustrating. Um, They did eventually fulfill a PRA request, a Public Records Act request that I had sent in. Um, But it, and I know it's been a weird year this year with the pandemic. It's been a very difficult year um, for public health, but it did take months of prodding to get that. And I would say the bigger concern is that they would only field questions via email. They wouldn't even give us names of people to attribute the answers they gave to. And even though I was working on this story for six months, they were never willing to put any official on the phone with me to talk about what's a very complicated process. Obviously, you know, forget about me. I'm just a journalist, but like this is really about public accountability during what's been a really massive crisis for nursing home residents this past year. 
Yeah, especially when we're dealing with some of the most vulnerable people that uh, we have in our state. Um, you know, and when we're talking about nursing home licenses, I mean, it can be easy to forget the people living in these facilities, the, the, the whole point of this. So what do we know about their experiences? So having a license to run a nursing home is basically important for the same reason you need a license to drive a car. Um, you need to be able to show that you can do it safely and competently and in a way that um, people won't get hurt. So I found some of the details outlined in some of the inspection reports, which you know are seemingly dry government documents, but some of them had some very compelling details. In one of the facilities um, that is still pending, um, it was fined $20,000 in, in August after inspectors found that staff had failed to to basically help a resident who needed help with eating and drinking. And that resident eventually died um, of severe malnutrition and dehydration and sepsis, a blood infection. And then one of the other inspection reports um, about one of the facilities that has been operating despite being denied a license, it described a resident being found sitting in a wheelchair with urine and feces running down her legs. And she told inspectors, I got upset um, because she had to wait so long wearing a soiled brief. And the quote in the report that I found compelling was just, quote, tears were running down her face as she spoke. Wow. Really quick, uh, Jocelyn, what are the potential solutions here? Um, well, I think as mentioned earlier in the segment, there's a package of seven nursing home bills in play right now. One of those bills, uh, which has stalled in the Assembly Health Committee, AB 1502, um, would address the issue basically so that you can't acquire a nursing home before you acquire a license. Okay. And, you know, beyond that, I would just say we just need to decide as a society that, um, that our state has a role in making sure the laws we have are actually being followed. That's Cal Matters, Jocelyn Wiener. Jocelyn, thanks a lot. Thank you. Coming up, take two's special edition called Unprotected, an examination on nursing homes continues. Stay with us. Haruole is our love letter to Los Angeles. We'll tell you where to get a yummy torta, a bowl of kanji, and of course, a burger. It's a beef sausage blend, fried egg, grilled onions, and then raspberry jam. What hiking trails to check out. This feels like we're out in the mountains. And where to take in some culture. In Limerick Park, they've been fostering jazz for decades. LA's a big place with a lot going on. So we got you. Subscribe to How to LA from LA Studios wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Back now with more Take Two on 89.3 KPCC and kpcc.org. Ami Martinez. We continue with our hour-long special, Unprotected, a collaboration with nonprofit newsrooms across California to examine how some nursing homes and the state have failed to care for the most vulnerable. As we've heard, advocates say the California Department of Public Health has done a poor job overseeing nursing home operators, but it's also failed to adequately monitor health care providers inside facilities. This next story contains some shocking allegations of abuse by a nursing home assistant. So a warning, the content is not, not suitable for all audiences. And you might want to turn down the radio right now and listen later on the KPCC app just in case. Reporter Amitha Sharma of KPBS in San Diego has been looking into the state's failure to suspend the license of that assistant as it was investigating claims of sexual assault against him. Amitha joined me last week to talk about what she found. Well, what we learned is that a caregiver by the name of Matthew Flukiger, who was 
first accused of sexual misconduct at a nursing home in 2017 was actually able to find at least three more nursing home jobs over the next three years. And in each of those jobs, he was accused of sexual assault. So in the 2017 nursing home job, he was accused of trading cigarettes for oral sex from a resident. In June 2019, he was accused of sodomizing a woman during a diaper change. She was in her early 70s. Six weeks later, at a third nursing home, he was accused of sexually assaulting another woman resident. And then almost five months later, he was accused of raping a woman named Gail twice in one hour at a fourth nursing home. And after that alleged rape, Gail said he told her, he warned her to stay quiet. He already said he knows my address and everything of where I live and all my personal business. And then he says, so trust me, I know you're not going to say anything. Wow, that is a stunning list of accusations. Um, what did the California Department of Public Health know and, and when did they know it? Well, CDPH's own records show that the agency actually knew about the very first sexual misconduct allegation against him at the nursing home in 2017. And remember, that 2017 incident was almost a full two years before the sodomy allegations against him at Avocado Nursing Home, but CDPH still didn't suspend his license. They didn't revoke it. After the sodomy allegations surfaced in 2019 and CDPH didn't revoke his license, Flukiger went on to work at a third nursing home. He allegedly sexually assaulted again. CDPH knew about it. They still didn't revoke his license. And in November of 2019, CDPH investigators met with Flukiger and they asked him why there were so many sexual misconduct or, or sexual assault allegations against him. And they also told him that they had found discrepancies in his statements to them, but they didn't take away his license or suspend it. And that allowed him to continue working at a fourth nursing home where he was accused of raping Gail. Here is what lawyer Mike Dark of the California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform had to say about CDPH's handling of the case. This is perhaps the worst and most horrifying story of serial sexual assault that I have ever heard in the long-term care setting. How many women would need to be assaulted before they felt like they needed to take action? Well, I mean, I mean, it really makes the blood boil just to even hear all these stories. Uh, so when did the department take action against Flukiger? In August of 2020, eight months after he allegedly raped Gail, and more than three years after the first allegation of sexual misconduct emerged. Now, and I understand the San Diego County District Attorney's Office has now filed criminal charges. Yes, that's correct. The DA here has charged Flukiger with four felony counts of lewd and lascivious conduct on an adult dependent by a caretaker. And there is also a fifth related felony charge against him. And he's in jail right now. He's waiting for his trial. What does the California Department of Public Health say about your reporting? Well, they say that they take all abuse allegations arising from nursing homes very seriously, but they wouldn't talk to me about this case specifically. And they said that they understood that I must feel frustrated that they can't say much more. Now, we also reached out to CDPH for this special, and they have declined uh, an invitation for an interview. Amitha, what do we know about how common cases of sexual assault are in California nursing homes? I don't have any hard numbers, but lawyers who sue nursing homes in abuse cases say that sexual assaults are an absolute epidemic in these facilities. And they say that's because the people who live in these facilities are so physically frail, mentally frail, that they are susceptible of being exploited in what one lawmaker has said in unimaginably cruel ways. What do advocates say about what needs to change to keep patients safe? They say a lot of things. Uh, the way it stands right now, there is not a state law that requires a nursing home to check the employment history or even ask for job references of caregivers. Now, CDPH told me that it's common practice for these places to do that, although I don't think you can say that in the Flukiger case. So advocates say, you know, 
very basic requirement should be a statewide database where nursing homes are required to tell the state when they employ a certified nursing assistant. The hope is that that would bar candidates for these jobs from lying about where they worked and whether there were previous allegations against them. And they also want to make sexual assaults uh, at nursing homes a federal felony, which would allow U.S. attorneys, federal prosecutors across the country to prosecute these cases because the way it stands right now, DA's offices are to prosecute them and DA's offices, for whatever reason, uh, sometimes are reluctant to pursue these cases. That's KPBS's Amitha Sharma. Her story is online at kpbs.org. Amitha, thank you very much. Thank you. Take two special edition called Unprotected, an examination of how some nursing homes in the state have failed to care for the most vulnerable continues in about 60 seconds. Stay with us. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. Back now with more Take Two on 89.3 KPCC and streaming on the KPCC app. Ami Martinez. We're back with our special on Unprotected. In the end, the California Department of Public Health did not make anyone available to us. So to wrap up, we reached out to Assemblyman Jim Wood. He's the chair of the California State Assembly Committee on Health. When we spoke last week, we discussed the reporting you just heard from Mitha Sharma at KPBS, and I asked him where accountability lies. Well, I think uh, from the best of my understanding, the accountability is with the California Department of Public Health. And clearly that didn't happen, not even close. Have you heard anything from them on this at all? No, no. As a matter of fact, the first I'd heard of this was the story I read and uh, it was it was horrifying. And I got to admit to something, Ben, you know, I share your feeling on this. I was I was hearing this, too, and, and my jaw was on the floor hearing about these accusations. I mean, how did it make you feel to hear that this was happening? Absolutely sick. And, you know, these are the most vulnerable people uh, in our society. A lot of people who live in uh, skilled nursing facilities don't even have advocates for themselves. And so they must feel incredibly helpless. And it's just shocking. I I uh, yeah, I think uh, jaw, jaw hit the floor was a really is a really good description for that story. Now, in the stories from both KPCC and Cal Matters, we heard about the issues around nursing home licensing and also change of ownership. Uh, Something, how would you characterize the problem? I had heard that there was uh, there certainly had been uh, lags in in licensing. I was aware of that. But I had no idea that it was anywhere near the extent of what was reported. It's completely unacceptable. Now, is the problem with the law, the oversight, or both? You know, that's a really good question. I, I will say this, and I'm in, in defense of the Department of Public Health a little bit, because um, I still don't understand how this could happen. But they had been chronically understaffed, and that had been a significant problem. Now, I understand that their staffing situation is is much better now. But um, in my mind, that's no excuse for this kind of a lag in in licensing. It makes makes no sense to me at all. If the law were to change those, Assemblyman, how do you think it should? Well, I think that, you know, um, and my my kudos to my colleague, uh, Assemblymember Marasucci from Torrance, uh, he introduced a bill, AB 1502, to look at this entire issue of licensing and really revamp it. You know, I decided to co-author that bill or joint author that bill with him because I feel really strongly about this issue. Unfortunately, it is such a complicated issue that for us to try to get that done this year really was impossible. It's complicated because it involves the California Department of Public Health, the Department of Healthcare Services, and OSHPED, and just the logistics of trying to get all of those players together to try to, to hammer something out that isn't going to end up you know, vetoed. 
or potentially uh, or, or potentially lost along the way in the, in the legislative process is going to take some time. My commitment to uh, Mr. Marasucci is that my staff and I will work with you and we will get this across the line next year. And I hear what you're saying about that. But when when you think about what victims and the families of victims might be feeling when they hear that this is delayed somehow, I mean, that that is something that will make their blood boil. Well, I, you know, you're talking about the licensing part of it and, and the oversight. And I think those are two, they're potentially two separate issues, unless I'm misunderstanding you. But um, if, if, uh, if, that, if that story that I read uh, last night uh, doesn't set off alarm bells somewhere, um, we need to be uh, make, making sure that those alarm bells are going off really, really loudly because that kind of thing cannot continue to happen. And as far as the licensing part of it, I wish we could do it faster. I really do. But it is it is extremely complicated. And my experience on these is that if we don't get it quite right, it makes it too easy for the department to say, oh, that that doesn't work. And and that means the bill doesn't get signed. And then nobody's gotten anything accomplished. We're talking to Assemblyman Jim Wood, chair of the California State Assembly Committee on Health. Uh, In in the meantime, though, uh, is there any assurances that you can give families that their loved ones are being properly cared for in these facilities? Well, after reading that story, you can rest assured that I will be uh, talking with the Secretary of Health and Human Services about this. Um, and as a matter of fact, I, uh, I'm going to be talking with the uh, uh, Director of Public Health tomorrow. I have, an, I have a phone call with him and we're going to have some really frank conversations. In light of all of this reporting, what do you make of the job the California Department of Public Health is doing? <laughs> In this arena, not good. Not good from my perspective. I'm very, very disappointed. Uh, we will get to the bottom of this and uh, we will make this better. Um, and uh, boy, I, 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 don't even, I don't even know where to go with this. It's, it's such an awful story and it, it makes me sick. It really does. And uh, my commitment is that we're going to do everything we can to get this right. And we've asked uh, multiple times for uh, requests for interviews from, for, from the California Department of Public Health on this and, and gotten denied. So I'm wondering, uh, you know, how do you factor in the lack of transparency, apparently, at least right off the bat? I mean, it, it, isn't that what people want out of these agencies is to have uh, people answer questions? Well, yes. And, and that's um, that's part of what I will be asking tomorrow. Um, it's like, why why are we not answering uh, to these reports? I, I find that unacceptable. And I, I expect to get a response from my questions tomorrow. I mean, considering that everything we've gone through in this pandemic, not just with this uh, this particular issue and this particular story, but I mean, just the stress of the uh, past year to know that this is happening. I mean, you know, as a, as a Californian assemblyman, uh, what does this make you feel for other Californians, for our neighbors in the state? Really disappointed. We've obviously, as a state, let a lot of people down. I can't help but think that, uh, you know, uh, the sort of the the profit motive of, of many of the operators um, have something to do with this. Uh, certainly, I, I think that uh, uh, residents certainly fared better in uh, nonprofit facilities. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's something we, we need to look at, quite frankly. Assemblyman Jim Wood is a chair of the California State Assembly Committee on Health. Thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. If you missed any part of this hour, it's really worth going back and uh, taking a listen to uh, the whole thing or any part that you missed. Just head to wherever you get your podcast there. We will be waiting to be heard by you. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter at Take Two. I'm there as well at A Martinez LA. Thanks for listening. Thanks for trusting us with your time. Take Two is back tomorrow at 2. Marketplace is next. <laughs>